time we will have our scripture reader come up before we before he reads scripture for us. Um, if you would join me in this prayer of illumination over the reading. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. This is how it happened. Simon Peter, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter told them, I'm going fishing. They said, we'll go with you. They set out on a boat, but, but through the night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. Jesus called to them, Children, have you caught anything to eat? They answered him, They answered him, No. They said, He said, Cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they did, and there were so many fish that they couldn't haul in the net. Then the disciples whom Jesus, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he, he wrapped his coat around himself and jumped into the water. The disciples followed in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. They weren't far from the shore, only about 100 yards. The, when they landed, they saw a fire there with fish on it and some, and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of that, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Simon Peter got up and hauled the net to shore. It was full of large, large fish, 153 of them, yet it, the net hadn't torn. Even with so many fish, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples could bring themselves to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This is, how, this is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, my friend. Uh, he hung in there like a trooper, and I appreciate you. Um, we have been talking about, we're in a sermon series called Abundant Love, learning the heart, uh, God's heartbeat, learning the heartbeat of God. And um, this Sunday we have a scripture about food and I did not pick this scripture because it happened to be uh, Communion Sunday and we're going to share a meal together, although it was good timing. Um, and I didn't pick it just so I can advertise once again that next week there is a soup 
Uh, we'll have, have a soup competition after church, and just like the earliest disciples, a meal is how disciples have met and joined together since the very beginning of time, and Methodists cook well. I didn't, I didn't pick this sermon just so I could tell you that again, but it just works out that way. But we have been talking about abundant love, about God's love um, for us, and each week I'm going to talk about a different facet of God's love, and this week I want to focus on um, the, one of the main ways that the, in the Bible that God demonstrates his love to humanity is by God's abundant grace. Uh, God has grace, overwhelming grace for each and every one of us, and um, throughout the scripture, we see God demonstrating his grace over and over again, and God's abundant grace is for each one of us. I was thinking about this text and the importance of it because um, so often I think that our inner critic makes it hard for us to hear and receive God's grace. Um, have you ever heard psychologists will often, when they're talking to people, they'll ask the question, would you talk to your friend the way that you talk to yourself? How many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, but your inner voice sometimes can be very negative. It, 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 it uh, points out all of your flaws and your mistakes. It, it reminds you of all of your shortcomings. Um, your inner critic can be one of your worst critics. And so often is a lie. And so what I hope today is that if you are one of those people that has that inner critic, that um, at, in certain seasons it really gets at you and it reminds you of all your flaws and your shortcomings and it asks you how can you be loved, that you think about this, this passage and you think about this sermon um, because God's grace is not your inner critic. And I, I don't want you to mistake God's voice for your inner critic. If you want to know God's voice, how God speaks, um, my wife uh, loved this. I said, God's, the sinus rhythm of God's heart is grace. Um, so that's a good medical term for all my few medical professionals in here. Um, the sinus rhythm of God's heartbeat is grace. The way God speaks is grace. That is God's native tongue. And if you want to know God's voice, you have to understand God's grace. And it is on full display in the passage that was read this morning, this, this amazing grace that we sing about on Sunday mornings, that we think about throughout the week, I hope, this amazing grace is on full display in the passage. But for you to get the grace, you got to understand where what happened leading up to this. This is John chapter 21. This is the last chapter in the Gospel of John. And in John chapter 20 is the stories of resurrection. Remember in John 19, Jesus is crucified and he's dead and buried. And in John chapter 20, we hear the story of what happens that first Easter morning. And what we are told is that the disciples have locked themselves in a room for fear of their neighbors, for fear of the Jews. They have locked themselves in a room. Mary Magdalene goes out to check the tomb, to decorate it, to make sure that it looks nice. And when she goes out to the tomb, she finds that the stone has been rolled away and the tomb is empty. And she, she begins to wonder where the Lord is. And she meets a man in the garden where the tomb is. And it is Jesus, it's her Lord. And he speaks to her. And, she's, and when he speaks to her, she says, Rahoni, which means teacher. And he tells her, go and tell my disciples that you've seen me. Tell them um, that I am coming for them, that I, all that I have told them is being fulfilled, right? And the, one of the cool things you see in this passage again um, and throughout the resurrection narratives is that 
The sheep of Jesus recognize him not by sight, but by his voice. You see this in, the story, in Luke, in the story of the, the walk to Emmaus. It's when Jesus speaks a word to them that they recognize him. And she recognizes her master's voice. And she goes and tells the disciples. And then Jesus appears to the disciples a couple of times. He talks to the disciples and he says, uh, he talks to the disciples in a room. He enters the room where they're locked away, afraid of what the people will say about them, afraid of what their neighbors will think about them. Because if you really start following Jesus with your whole life, sometimes your friends will think that you're crazy or, or your classmates will think that something's wrong with you. And they're afraid of what may happen when they follow Jesus with their whole heart. So they're locked inside a room. And Jesus enters the room. And in John, he says that he breathes the spirit into them. It's the same word phrase that's used in Genesis when God made man and he breathed, breathed into him the breath of life. Jesus breathes into them and he says, go, do ministry. I'm giving you my spirit to do ministry in the world. And then Thomas is not with them in that whole story of doubting Thomas. And Jesus comes to them a second time just so Thomas can get it. It's go and do ministry. All of that is chapter 20. And in chapter 21, we are told that they, what they did with that was go fishing. I mean, can you imagine Jesus personally comes to them three to, or two times already to tell them to do the ministry, all of what they've been, he's been teaching them for three years. They've been walking on the road with Jesus, learning about how he does ministry so they can go and do the ministry when he dies. He's told them that I am going to die over and over again. And now the day has come and they go back to what they know. These are fishermen, and they go fishing. They're fishing at night so that, you know, nobody's around, so they don't have to worry about the people they're, they're afraid of. They're fishing at night, hoping um, that they can catch some fish and forget about maybe all that is going on around them. And fishing is not a bad thing, but in this case, they're fishing because they are afraid. And Jesus enters the scene Jesus enters the scene and he invites them. I want you to think about this. Has anybody ever gone fishing before and had a bad day of fishing? Anybody ever had a bad day of fishing? These guys have not caught anything all night. Now, I personally have had a bad day of fishing. I was um, telling my wife my worst day of fishing. I, I'm not a fisherman, um, really, but my father loves to fish and when I was little, he would wake up on a Saturday morning at like 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning and say, we're going fishing, getting ready right now. And I remember one day, it had been raining, so the waters were particularly high. And we went to the South Jetty, and it, my dad had a rock that he liked to fish from on the South Jetty. And we go, and, and we try to go to the rock, but because the water is high, um, we slip and fall into the water, we, me and my brother and I. Uh, both fall into the water. We get we have gashes from the rocks, so we have blood trickling down, and we're soaking wet. And my father is determined. He's like, "Suck it up. We're going fishing today." And we caught absolutely nothing that day. So by the end of the time that we were there, when we were there for like two hours, my father gave it up because my brother and I were not having fun. Clearly, and 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 by the time we left. There was no fish, and my brother and I were looking at him like we're ready for mutiny, right? And I was thinking about that because in this text, Jesus comes to them after a bad night of fishing and asks them, did you catch anything? And I can imagine the disciples being like, hey man, not right now. But he tells them to throw, it all, um, to throw out on the other side. 
And here is the first glimpse of God's grace. They throw out on the other side and their nets are full of fish. They throw out on the other side and they catch more than they've ever caught before. And, and they begin to haul it in. And here's, this is why it's amazing grace. Because they have been running from what God has called them to do. They've been running from the ministry that God has set for them. The, the, the ministry that Peter has agreed to. Remember, Peter just a few chapters ago was saying, I would never deny you, Jesus. I would die for you, Jesus. And, and, and that's what Peter has said. And Peter is running away. And Jesus could have come and stood on the shore and said, what is wrong with you people? He could have yelled at them and castigated them. He could have, he could have um, scolded them and, and, and called them all kind of names. But instead, he invites them to throw their name out on the other side. He blesses them exactly where they are. So many times in church, I hear people talk about God as if, I love that song that we were singing um, I've heard many stories about you. People tell stories about you, God. And so many times people tell stories about God as if what God desires first is to hurt us or to crush us. That God's chief way of speaking to us is by punishment. But over and over again in the text, we see that God's number one way of speaking to humanity is through grace. He offers them a blessing right where they are. And then he invites them to a meal. And, and the cool thing about this meal, um, we're told that Nathaniel was there, who, who's from Cana. And if you remember, the, the reader is supposed to remember what happened in Cana last time. If you remember, in Cana, that's where the wedding feast was. In John chapter 2, that's how the disciples first, the first meal with the disciples is this big wedding feast that Jesus has where he turned the water into wine. And so the first thing that we have to know about God's love is that it is abundant, God's grace is abundant and extravagant. In the text, we're told that um, they haul in all of these fish, and when they get to shore, Jesus already has fish on the grill. Did y'all pick that up? When they got to shore, Jesus already has fish on the grill, so he didn't need them to catch the fish. He just did the fish to bless them. That was for them. And then he invites them into a meal. And, and I, I love it because God's grace is always extravagant. At the wedding feast, he gave them wine, and he didn't give them cheap wine. I don't know if you remember what it tells. It says, he says that normally people, they save the best wine, they give the best wine at the beginning, and they save the worst wine for later. So when people already had a little bit, they will remember how bad the bad wine was. And they say, but Jesus has given, who gave us this best wine? And I like to think that people think that Jesus would offer, you know, some Walmart dollar store wine, but what Jesus offers is top shelf, right? Why? Because God is demonstrating that my grace for you is not a small thing. I don't give you a little tidbit of grace. I give you abundant grace, extravagant grace. God wants to lavish his grace on us. He could have just invited them to a meal, but he invites them to a seaside supper with fish and bread and, and all that they need, and he's already prepared it for them. And here's the good news. God's grace for us is amazing and extravagant, and it is for us even when we haven't done anything. I don't know if you noticed, if you were reading on the screen as he was reading along, it's a little a slightly different translation, but if you notice it said that Peter was naked. Did anybody catch that? 
And you know, depending on where you're from, it, he was naked or naked or however you say it, right? Um, but the Greek word there actually is a word that means, it, it doesn't just mean having no clothes, it means when you, have, when you don't have the right kind of clothes on, right? So if you had a job interview and you didn't have a suit, but you had like shorts, then they would be, it'd be the same Greek word, naked, which means improperly clothed. So Peter was not properly clothed. He realizes that Jesus is there and he tries to cinch up his clothing. You know, he straightened himself out so he can get to Jesus. He didn't throw on a coat. He was like cinching. He was try, trying to straighten himself up. And here's the cool thing with the text is showing us is that God offered grace before Peter straightened himself up. God's invitation happens before we ever do anything. That's why every, every communion Sunday, every time we read the communion liturgy, we say we, that, that word from Romans that, that um, this proves God's love for us, that he died for us while we were yet sinners. God's grace is for you before you ever do anything. Second part of God's grace that you got to realize um, comes from the fish. Um, if you notice, there was 153 fish caught. And I don't know about you, but I, when I read that, I was like, what does that mean? Why, why 150? That's a pretty specific number, right? It's not 150. They didn't even say they caught a lot of fish. They caught 153 fish. And I was reading through lots of commentaries, and there's lots of different, there's a, a few handful of different ideas, but the one that holds the most weight comes from St. Jerome. He was an early Christian writer um, in the fourth century. He's an early Christian father um, and theologian. And he wrote, he was, he was digging, trying to figure out this 153. And in um, antiquity, in Greek and Roman antiquity, what they realized was that the Greeks and Romans thought there were 153 type of fish in the world, right? That's what they thought. There's 153 type of fish in the world. So what does that mean in the text? What, um, throughout the New Testament, uh, animals are sometimes used. Remember Peter and the, the blanket? Animals are used to represent what God means for people, right? And in this case, 153 means every type of fish, which means that God's grace is offered for every type of person, right? That's the second part of God's grace. God's grace is not just for the people in the penthouse. It's not just for people in the basement. It's for everybody. God grace, God's grace is big enough so that each one of us is offered God's grace. It's not just for this country or that country, for these kind of people or those kind of people. God's grace is for everyone. I like if you've ever seen those stickers that says y'all means all, right? When God says, I love y'all, in, in, in John chapter uh, 3, verse 16, everybody knows, for God loved the world, the, the Texas version of that is, God loved all of y'all so much that he sent his only son so that who would ever believe in him might not die but have everlasting life, right? God's love for us is for everyone. If we want to know God's heartbeat, you have to understand that God's heart beats for each and every one of us. There's no one outside of God's grace. No one outside of the pull of God's love. No one outside of God's power. And that should say a lot about how we minister in the world. It's why one of my favorite things about Lakeside when I first got here last summer, um, I, I was, I, before I preached the Sunday, I, I asked for a copy of a Sunday bulletin. 
And I saw on the front cover that we, we write every week, all are welcome at Lakeside. This means everyone. Why? Because this is the truth of God's grace. Again, in a few minutes, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, do communion. At the beginning, I often talk about how this is not a Lakeside table. This is not a United Methodist table. This is Christ's table, which is open to all people, all races, all creeds, all colors. Everybody is welcomed at the table of God. 153 fish, every type of person. All are welcomed. His love is for everyone. The last, the last bit that I really love is in this passage and in the passage that follows. Um, if you continue to read in John 21, you'll see that um, Jesus pulls Peter aside because Peter is supposed to be the leader. And he is leading because he said, let's go fishing. And everybody jumped on board and they all went fishing. And Jesus um, pulls Peter aside and he has this conversation with Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, oh, Jesus, you know I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. And he asked him, Peter, do you love me again? And he says, of course, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, tend my lambs. And he says, again to him, Peter, do you love me? And he says, Peter says, Come on, man, I keep telling you, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And if you wonder why that sequence is because remember just a few chapters ago when Peter said, I would never deny you, and he denies Jesus three times. And the question in the Gospel of John is a question of discipleship. Jesus, um, the, the, the girl comes to Peter by the fireside, and she says, you're one of his disciples. And and, um, G and Peter says, I'm sorry, I'm getting distracted by four-year-olds. Um, <laughs> Jesus, uh, the girl says to Peter, you're one of his disciples. And Peter says, I am not one of his disciples, right? And now, in this moment, what, what Jesus is doing with Peter is restoring him. And why that's good is because whenever we mess up, one of the things we have to remember about God's grace is how God's grace comes fresh every morning. How, how patient God is with God's grace. And God restores us with his grace. He, he brings us back to where we're supposed to be with his grace. Um, I, love, I love how this is, you can see this example in scripture how, of God's patience with God's grace. If you remember the story of Gideon, I don't know if you've ever read that story in Judges. Um, um, God comes to Gideon and he says, I want you to lead my people. And Gideon says, hold up, hold up. Before I can lead anybody, I need some signs and symbols. And he asks God, he says, I'm going to put a, 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 um, a fleece out. And if the ground is dry and the fleece is wet, then I will trust you. And the ground is dry and the fleece is wet the next morning. And he says, wait, before I can do that, hold on one more time. He says, I, I want to do it the same thing, but this time I want the ground to be wet and the fleece to be dry. And the next morning it is just like he asked. And even in the midst of that, Gideon goes off to war and he's still afraid to go to battle. And the night before battle, God reminds um, uh, Gideon of what he is called Gideon to do. And he, he encourages Gideon one more time. Why am I bringing this up? Because... In our life, as we do the work that we're called to do, as we're striving, there are times when we feel like we've lost it all, or we've messed up, or we've taken it a step too far, or we've done so much. And what I am reminded of in the passage is that God's grace is born anew, which means that it's not like we ran out of grace because God only has this much for you. 
God's grace is always putting more grace in the bank for you. Right? There's always, um, God's grace is a renewable resource, right? It's always fresh every morning. The Bible says that God's grace is new for us. His patience for us, his steadfast love for us is continuous. You can't outdo God's grace. You can't outrun God's grace. It's too big. It's too vast. So if there's a moment ever in your life when you're like, maybe I've done too much. Maybe I haven't done enough. I need you to know that God's grace is big enough to hold it all. Not just for you, but for me and for all of us. And this is all good news. This is good news. But as I was reading this text, I want to leave you with this. This good news means that God's grace, if God's grace is this big and this fresh and this new, it means that as I do ministry, I can't give up. It means that, that, that Lakeside, we can't give in because God's grace for Lakeside is more new. And the ministry that God has for us, he is not taking it away from us. Whatever we, we thought we should have done or we could have done better or whatever, God's grace for us means that we have to continue in the ministry because God is offering it for us. And the good news is that there are people around us who only know the inner critic. And they only know the voices online that malign them and, and, and hate them. And they only know the voices on TV that tell them that those, these kind of people are not good or those kind of people are not good. And what they need to know, what they need to know in their deep down in their heart is the love of God and the grace of God that is so big that they can never outrun it. And we, my friends, get to bear witness to it. So I pray that we do that. Amen. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Holy and gracious God, we thank you. We thank you for your mercy, your grace, your love, and your power for us. And God, we pray that we would continue to be witnesses of that. In Jesus' name, amen.